Our second reading is from Acts, chapter 9, verses 36 through 43. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which is in, in Greek is called Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At the time, she became very ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples who heard that Peter was there sent two men to him with the request, please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put all of them outside, and then he knelt down and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Meanwhile, he stayed in Joppa for some time with a certain Simon, a tanner. We celebrate the written word of Scripture. Thanks be to God. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Loving God, we thank you for all the ways that you give us life. May your word of resurrection continue to pulse in our lives that we might bless the world you love. Amen. We are accustomed to talking about the season of Lent as a journey, a journey toward Holy Week, the Last Supper, the cross, on toward Easter morning. This year, this year we're also talking about our journey through the season of Easter, the seven Sundays of Easter. This year we are undertaking an Easter journey, a journey continuing on into resurrection, following the life that flows out on Easter morning through the resurrection experiences that we find again and again in Scripture and in our own lives. We started on Easter morning with the women at the tomb, as we experienced with them life bigger than we ever imagined, an entirely new creation, resurrection, not just a promise for tomorrow, but as a present reality, a future that we can live from right here, right now. We joined Thomas, in his disbelief, the risen Christ offering himself to Thomas, inviting Thomas into resurrection life of relationship and deeper intimacy, a new way of seeing and living. Then the disciples came to life in our midst, literally. Do you remember them? They were right here 
on a fishing trip as they experienced resurrection embodied not only in Jesus' body, but in their own own embodied lives, a breakfast of broiled fish on the beach with Jesus, the smell of love cooking. Then we turned to Revelation and its larger-than-life vision written for people living through larger-than-life struggle, Christ in the midst of our suffering, wiping away every tear, a vision of resurrection life more powerful than everything, everything that does us harm. And then last week, we traveled alongside Saul, Paul, as he experienced resurrection in a blinding vision of the risen Christ and in the face of Ananias. Ananias reaching out to Paul, calling him brother, baptizing him. Ananias and Paul seeing each other as God's own beloved, both of them in Christ, transcending every separation and every boundary. This Easter season, we have been journeying on into resurrection. And this morning, we come to these two scriptures from the book of Acts. They, they aren't as flashy. We enter into these everyday moments as the pulse of resurrection is lived out in the daily life of community. So let's take our time. Let's walk into and around each scene and see what we see. In the first scripture, we meet Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. By now, Paul has already been transformed by his experience of the risen Christ and Ananias, and now he is on the go. He's taking the good news of Jesus Christ as far as he can to as many people as he can. He is in Troas, modern-day Turkey, and he has a vision, a man in Macedonia saying, come help us, and so Paul goes. They go to Philippi, and then on the Sabbath, they go outside the city, down to the river, where they expect to find a place of prayer. Perhaps there wasn't a synagogue in the city, so they go where people might be gathering outside the city gates. And they find Lydia, this dealer in purple cloth, leading a group of women in prayer. Now notice a few things about Lydia. First, she is a woman leading and prominent in a patriarchal world. Always notice that in Scripture. That's no small thing. Lydia is from Thyatira, not originally from Philippi, so she, like Paul, is not from around here. Both of them are strangers in a strange land. Scripture says Lydia is a follower of God, meaning that she's drawn to the Hebrew faith, but not likely Jewish. That would have put her outside the mainstream, not only of Roman culture, but as a non-Jewish follower of that tradition, she would have remained an outsider looking in. Lydia, a woman and an outsider, and yet, yet Lydia is a dealer in purple cloth. She's a businesswoman, and purple cloth is expensive, so she's likely a woman of means all in her own right. There's no husband mentioned here. The scripture speaks in terms of Lydia's household, which which is unusual. In their their patriarchal culture, a household would usually have been identified in relation to the male head of house. But it's Lydia's household, and she's the leader of this community, this community of women outside the city gates, down by the river, praying. That Sabbath, 
Paul and Silas head out of the city looking for a place of prayer and they encounter Lydia and look what happens. Paul is invited to sit down and they begin a conversation. Paul shares with the gathered women the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul invites Lydia into an experience of the risen Christ, of resurrection. Lydia listens and responds. She and her household are baptized by Paul just as Paul was baptized by Ananias. And then Lydia invites Paul to come and stay at her house. Such a quiet scene. And so much going on. Look at all the boundaries that are being transcended. Gender and patriarchy ethnicity and the relative privilege that comes with citizenship. Lydia is a woman and a resident of Philippi, but not from there, and she's also a woman of wealth. Paul, also not from there, but he's a Roman citizen, a member of the Jewish community by birth, and he is a not wealthy itinerant preacher, living hand to mouth. In this moment, as they talk together and share the good news, all those boundaries fade away. Look at the relationships of mutuality that emerge. They talk with each other. Paul shares his message. A womanist scholar Mitzi Smith says, as Paul spoke in this community that Lydia led, maybe Paul was blessed to hear Lydia preach too. This moment, a mutual sharing of the good news, and then Lydia welcomes Paul into her home. Lydia's home will actually become Paul's home base while he preaches in Philippi, and then throughout his ministry all the way to his imprisonment in Rome, this community in Philippi will continue as one of his major financial supporters. Have you all heard the phrase, welcome in? Welcome in? I've just noticed that in the last year or two, when I walk into a store, more often now, the folks working there say, welcome in. Not just welcome, but welcome in now. Now, after I got past my grandmother's grammatical voice in my head, noticing that dangling preposition, I wondered about that. Welcome in. Welcome in. I've Googled it, and the usage isn't new. It, it comes, um, carries with it a sense that's beyond a general welcome. It's a particular welcome, a specific welcome, a welcome from the outside in, into a place of shelter, welcome in, a welcome from the bigger world, a stormy world, into the nurture and conversation of this place, this circle, this community, welcome in. Lydia and Paul Welcome each other in, into the good news of resurrection, into baptism, into Lydia's home, into relationship, into community, into life in Christ. Now the second scripture, the second scripture brings us into another community, a community of widows who have just lost their beloved leader, Tabitha. It brings us into that all-too-everyday experience of death and loss and grieving. Now we're in Joppa, and here's what we know about Tabitha or Dorcas, her Greek name. 
Scripture tells us that she was always doing good and helping the poor. What a lovely way to be remembered. Tabitha has lived in this community of widows, and she gets sick, and the widows send for Peter, but she dies. And when Peter gets there, the widows surround Peter in their grieving, showing him the robes and other clothing Tabitha had made for them. See these clothes she made for us. And Peter is moved. He goes into the room where Tabitha lays, and he says to her, Tabitha, get up, arise, and she gets up. And Peter brings her out to the widows and shows her to the widows alive. He shows her to them alive just as they had shown him her life, the life she had brought into their community in her loving acts of tender mercy. Resurrection in this story doesn't wait for Paul to revive Tabitha from the dead. It's right there at the beginning, reaching back before the beginning as the women surround Peter. See these clothes she made for us, robes and coats, the life they lived together, fully present, fully alive in that moment. Welcome in. The women welcome Peter into the life they have lived with Tabitha. And Peter, moved, presents Tabitha to them alive. They welcome each other into an experience of resurrection, life and love stronger than everything that does us harm, more powerful even than death. The first time I preached this story of Tabitha and the widows was in April of 2007. It was actually one of my very first sermons, maybe number four or five. And it was not long after the mass shooting at Virginia Tech. This scripture comes up in the lectionary uh, every three years, the, the church's cycle of reading. So every three years it comes up. I've noticed over the years that far too often it happens to come up not long after another mass shooting in the United States. In 2018, it was the school shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. This year, we're one week after the shootings in Buffalo and Southern California. Now, that could be a coincidence. I, I used to think maybe it was. But I've come to realize that actually, we are almost always living life not long after another mass shooting in the United States. And this past week, there have been two. Folks doing their daily shopping at Topps Grocery Store in Buffalo, and folks gathered for prayer in the Fellowship Hall at the Irvine Taiwanese Presbyterian Church. What I noticed then, and what I notice now, is that in the wake of these crimes of hate, in the trauma, in the loss, one of the first things we do is we tell the stories of life. Like the widows in Joppa who surround the Apostle Peter insisting, see these clothes she made for us. Those who mourn, they lift up. We lift up for all of us the lives cut short. See the life of Ruth Whitfield who was heading home after doing what she did every day spending time with her husband at the nursing home, her son saying, she 
She was the glue that held our family together. See the life of Aaron Salter, a retired police officer who was doing what he did every day, working security, working to keep folks safe, that day risking and giving his own life to protect others. See the life of Catherine Cat Massey, 72-year-old civil rights activist who had worked her whole life to improve life within the black community of Buffalo. She was remembered by her friends who labored alongside her in a group called We Are Women Warriors. See the life of Hayward Patterson, a taxi cab driver known for giving rides for free when folks were out of money and down on their luck. See the life of Dr. John Cheng, who lived his life helping people and gave his life helping people. Even in the depths, even in the depths, we lift up the life we live together, the love we share, and somehow, somehow it propels us forward. We hope we hope with a deeper appreciation of what it means to live life with and for each other, even as we grieve unspeakable loss. And for all of those of us who participate in the systems that helped create this harm, we see our work to never stop tackling the pernicious evils of gun violence and the violence of American racism now, more aware of the poisonous resurgence of the white supremacist so-called replacement theory, knowing now our responsibility to dismantle that too. See these lives. See these lives, they lived for us and with us. May we live our lives so that others don't have to know pain like this. In this morning's scripture, in everyday moments of prayer, in welcoming and tender mercy, in sorrow and in loss, in the fullness of life, we experience resurrection in depth of belonging. We have said that on Easter morning, what happened was nothing less than a new creation. The old order had its say on the cross, but the old order no longer has the last word. Resurrection, this new creation, changes everything. In this new creation, what we find is a belonging to God and each other and all creation deeper than we have ever known. Presbyterian pastor Kara Root, writing about love and loss and love in a community she knows and loves, says this, we are each born beloved child of God and we each die beloved child of God still and always. And in between, in between, we journey together, connected inextricably. Our humanity at its core is this. We all belong to God, and we all belong to each other in Christ. This is our primary identity, our ongoing purpose, and our ultimate destination. This is the deepest belonging In just a few minutes, 
we will welcome new members into this community, and we are so excited. Like Paul and Lydia and Ananias and Tabitha and the women at the river outside the city gates and the widows in Joppa, we welcome each other into the life of resurrection. We see each other and the whole world created in the image of God. We name our shared identity in Jesus Christ. We extend hospitality to and we welcome all whom Christ welcomes. We live lives of tender mercy and together we engage the work that is ours to do in the world. In life, amidst the death-dealing ways of the world, in the life of community, what we find What we find is the life of resurrection pulsing in our bodies, in our lives. Resurrection, this this new creation come to life in us. And so we gather to pray, we tend the needs of the vulnerable, and we work for a world of justice, healing, and peace, saying to each other and the whole world, welcome in.